Praise God. All right. Well, open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, our master text in the book of James. James, if you're not real familiar with your Bibles yet, is a small book toward the end of your Bibles. And when you find James, go ahead and stand up, if you will. We uh, have one verse today as our master text. One short verse. So this won't take too long. It says this, but he, God, gives us more grace, more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Grace to the humble. He gives us more grace, grace to the humble. Well, those of you that have been in this church for a while know that there are three topics that I try to talk about every year in this church. So just so I know that you're listening and paying attention, um, who wants to tell me what those three topics are that I've told you before that God has commissioned me to talk about at least once every year? What are those three topics? Tithing, giving, or money. Yeah, that's all in the same category, so I heard that. What else? Fasting, correct. What's the third one? We talk about all those things a lot, but there's one thing that you always hear me talk about at least once a year. Well, grace is, is in, yeah, salvation. It's the gospel message. So, so God has given me the commission to talk about those three things once every year. The topic of money, which covers generosity and what have you. Um, the topic of fasting, which we're going to cover today. And also the gospel, the gospel proclamation in some way, shape, or form. So those are the three things you'll hear me talk about repeatedly that the Lord just has put on my heart that this church and his people need to hear about more often. All right, so good job. You got two out of three, so that's, that's good. <laughs> okay. So now, as we transition here into the, into the meat of this teaching, I'm going to refer to Ecclesiastes 4.12. And it says uh, that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So the combination then of giving, prayer, and fasting, giving, prayer, and fasting, provides wisdom and strength and favor that a lot of other people don't have because they don't practice these things on a regular basis. So in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about all three of these, giving, praying, and fasting. And he says, when you give, not if. He says, when you pray, not if. And he says, when you fast, not if. In other words, these three practices are very basic expectations of the Christ follower. Now, the church in America today, the modernized church, has one of these down fairly well, the prayer part. A second one is down, we've got it down sort of, kind of, we've got it down really good in this church, giving, but not so much in the the rest of the American church, as I shared with you in a previous teaching, only about 5% of regular churchgoers tithe. So that one needs some improvement in the Church of Jesus Christ today, but 
Fasting? Wow. We need some education and some inspiration where fasting is concerned, so that's my hope and prayer today. Now, I want you to get this point right here. Fasting has always been, always, always been a fundamental part of seeking God. Fasting has always been a fundamental part of seeking God. Let me give you three scriptural examples where that's concerned. The first one is from Daniel 9.3. This is Daniel speaking. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting in sackcloth and ashes. And in Acts 2, verses 37 and 38, there was also a prophet. This is very appropriate for the Christmas season, by the way. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. And then likewise, Acts 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So I want you to know that fasting was a common practice of the apostles in the first century church, which provides an example for us today, folks. How many of you believe and would agree that the book of Acts which is the, 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 the story and the events of the first century church, provides an example for us today. Would you agree with that? Yes. So fasting was a common practice of the apostles and the, the early disciples, the early church, and provides an example for us today. Folks, I want you to know something. Every notable Christian, man or woman, every notable Christian throughout history has been a person of fasting, and prayer. I'm going to say that again. Every notable Christian throughout history has been a person of fasting and prayer. Now, I want to introduce you to a concept. Those of you that have heard me teach on this before probably remember me talking about this. Some of you that have not heard me teach on this before, this may be a very new concept for you. But I want you to understand the merits of what the Bible calls mourning quote-unquote, as it relates to fasting. So let me give you the scriptural reference for that. This is in Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel was talking about a fast that he went on for three weeks. And he said this, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for uh, full three weeks. He associates mourning with fasting. I was mourning for three weeks. Now, he wasn't mourning because he had lost a loved one. He was distressed in his soul about some of the events pertaining to the Jewish people. And he was praying for the people. He was praying and and fasting. He was, quote, mourning. Verse 3, he describes what he did. I ate no rich food, nor meat or wine entered my mouth. I did not anoint myself with oil until the three weeks were completed. So he almost seems to imply that mourning and fasting are connected. They're almost one and the same. And then I also want to relate this to Psalm 126.5, which says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. 
And there was a, a young Jewish woman once that demonstrated this truth beautifully as she sought the Lord fervently in prayer and fasting. See, for three days she ate no food or drank any water as uh, she uh, sought God for his intervention in a perilous situation. And uh, if you know that story, you know that I'm talking about Esther. And Esther was a, uh, a woman who became, he was a Jewish woman, and she became queen in a pagan land. And when the Jewish people were under the threat of death, she called a fast of all the people living in that region. For three days, they fasted all food and water. See, they sowed in tears, and God heard their cries and came through for them, so they reaped in shouts of joy as they routed their enemies, and God saved them. Folks, listen, sometimes perilous times call for drastic measures. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes perilous times call for drastic measures. And the lazy way that so many Christians today approach God in prayer is not going to be enough to affect breakthrough in these perilous times. See, some of you, for example, have had perilous situations with your children, situations that look like life or death. And when death is staring you in the face, it's time to sow in tears and grab a hold of the horns of the altar and not let go until you have your answer. And fasting is one of the ways that we do that. Hallelujah. I want to transition to this frame of thought right here that every assignment, every call of God starts right here with fasting. Starts right here. As a matter of fact, a scriptural reference here that I want to relate to our topic today is one that you've heard before, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I won't read that whole thing, but there's a, a short passage in those two verses that says, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Don't you think that relates very well to fasting? We present our bodies as living sacrifices in fasting. Fasting is a way that we do that. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. See, the, the Apostle Paul was fasting when God called him and gave, the, gave him the assignment for his life in Acts chapter 9. Why? Because he was presenting his body as a living sacrifice. I'm yours, Lord. And so it was then that, the, that God called him and gave him the assignment for his life. So fasting keeps us sensitive to God's spirit. You might want to write that down. Fasting keeps us sensitive to God's spirit, enabling us to live holy and also helping us to discern his perfect and pleasing will. So I find it very interesting that it was during Paul's fast that God called him and gave him, gave him the assignment for his life in Acts chapter 9. Similarly, Peter was fasting and praying on the rooftop when God gave him a vision and uh, called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. See, fasting prepares the way for God to give you a fresh revelation, a fresh vision, and a clear purpose. I want you to get that. Fasting prepares the way for God to give you a fresh revelation, a fresh vision, and a clear purpose. If you've ever wondered what God's purpose is for you, this is what I tell people. Just live today like you know you're supposed to live 
Put one foot in front of the other. If you're seeking God with all of your heart, it'll just unfold in time. And one of the ways that you seek God with all your heart is with fasting. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. Praise God. I want to quote to you uh, from a book that I reference almost every time that I teach on fasting, and that's Jensen Franklin's book from many years ago. Look how young he looks in that picture on, on the cover. Uh, so this was many years ago. Um, but uh, this is a great little book. I mean, one of the best books I've ever read on fasting. And he says this, I'm convinced that we will never walk in the perfect will of God until we seek him through fasting. When you present your body in this manner, you open yourself up to hear from God. You will prove or discover God's perfect will for your life, just like Paul and Peter did when they were fasting and God gave them the mission for their lives. Folks, some people wonder why they can never hear from God in prayer, that they never sense his voice or sense his presence or direction in their lives, and they never relate it to fasting, or perhaps I should say, the lack thereof. If you want to hear God's voice more clearly, if you want to sense his direction more perfectly, learn to live a lifestyle of fasting. So let me give you some other compelling reasons to fast. You know, I realize, like I said earlier, that the American church isn't very used to fasting. We're used to feasting, but not fasting. And so therefore, this is a very uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. Some of you may be squirming right now, saying, man, I can't do that, or I won't do that, or whatever other excuses that Satan is trying to whisper in your ear right now, because let me tell you something. The forces of hell are terrified of people who fast. Are you awake? Did you hear what I said? The forces of hell are terrified of people who fast because it puts us in position to be used of God in a greater and greater way. Hallelujah. All right, some other more compelling reasons to fast. Well, if Jesus needed it, hello, you and I need it. If the Son of God needed to fast, you and I need to. See, the Son of God knew that there were supernatural things that would only be released that way through fasting. Let me say that again. Jesus, the Son of God, knew that there were supernatural things that could only be released that way through fasting. Praise God. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Notice that it says, everyone who is perfectly trained will become like his teacher. If you're perfectly trained, if we're perfectly trained, we will learn to live a lifestyle of fasting like our teacher did. I can tell you're so excited about this teaching this morning. You know, folks, you, you can go bumping along in this life just like you are right now and not make any changes and probably still get to heaven that way. But I'm telling you, there's something about a lifestyle of fasting that opens up a whole new realm of living for you. A whole new realm of answered prayer. A whole new realm of being consecrated to the Lord.
around the turn of the 20th century, there was a great pianist and composer by the name of Ignacy Paderewski from Poland. And uh, one day, a, a lady approached the great pianist and composer and said, oh, sir, I would give everything to be able to play the piano like you. To which Paderewski responded, ma'am, I have given everything. See, lots of people would love to be able to caress the, the ivories of a piano like Paderewski or compose like Beethoven, but precious few are willing to make the sacrifices necessary to turn those desires into reality. You see, folks, if you want to get to the next level in anything, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to put in the time when other people are out doing things that seem a lot more fun. I can just picture Paderewski when he was younger. Maybe he began when he was a child or a teenager and other kids were out playing ball and having fun and he was glued to the keyboard and became one of the greatest piano players and composers of his time because of the sacrifices that he made. See, again, if we want to excel in anything, we're going to have to put in the time when other people are out doing other things that seem a lot more attractive and fun. But the ones who make the sacrifices now for the sake of their spiritual lives are the ones who tend to not only survive, but indeed thrive when hard times come, when the storms of life come. While those who are only interested in comfort and fun tend to be the ones that the storms of life tend to sweep away, that temptation tends to sweep away. When you're only interested in, in just sowing to your flesh all the time, then when the storms of life and temptations come, those are the kind of people that tend to get swept away. Where those that have made the sacrifices to build themselves up in their most holy faith, when the storms of life come and the storm sweeps by, they're still standing. Praise God. Here's another perspective that I'd like to talk about just very briefly. Fasting raises awareness of the spiritual and sweeps out unproductive worldly thinking. See, fasting tends to clear out the cobwebs of incorrect and worldly thinking. It causes your focus to become razor sharp. When you begin a lifestyle of fasting, you begin understanding, wow, how did I ever think the way that I thought before I started this lifestyle of fasting? You just, it makes your focus so razor sharp clear from a spiritual perspective. You begin to see the junk in your life. You begin to see the crazy ways that you've thought in the past. It's like, oh, I used to think that way. That's not correct. And it begins to even cause the word of God to begin to pop when you open it up and you read. It's like, bam, bam, bam. You're seeing things you never saw before. Why? Because your, your focus is laser sharp now because you're, you're sowing to the spirit and not to the flesh. If that makes sense. All right? Another perspective. Fasting is a form of drawing near to God. And I'm going to reference here a, a passage that I reference from time to time, James 4, 8, which says, draw near to God, 
and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's one of the ways that we cleanse our hands? Through fasting. As a matter of fact, on that note, you'll find that in the scriptures, when, when people were repenting, they tended to fast. In a season of repentance, they tended to fast. There were many reasons why people fasted, to seek God in a perilous situation, like I just talked about with um, Esther. But fasting also involves times of repentance, or times of repentance involves fasting as well. So draw near to God through fasting, and he will draw near to you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? See, in Matthew 5, 6, it says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me say something about that that I want you to get. Unless you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will never allow yourself to be physically hungry. Man, you got to get that. Unless you truly thirst for righteousness, unless you truly hunger and thirst for the deeper things of God, for righteousness, you're never going to see fit, you're never going to see the value or the merit in allowing yourself to be physically hungry. There's a time, folks, when we have to tell our flesh, you're not my boss. You have to tell the desires of your flesh, you're not in control. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to show you you're not the boss. I'm going to go for a day and fast. And then guess what your, your flesh is going to do? It's going to kick up and raise a fuss and make you uncomfortable and make you give up on it. And, and the more, this is, I've done this before. The more my flesh complains, it's like, okay, sit down and shut up. We're going a second day. And if my flesh continues to throw up a, a fuss, okay, flesh, day number three is coming at you. You want to keep this up? Um, I can tell you this now because I'm not doing it. But over the summer, I fasted for 40 days. Because my lifestyle of fasting typically has been one day, two days, three days. Uh, the, the longest I'd gone prior to then it, with a really, like, really hard fast was uh, about 12 days. Uh, and um, I just felt like God was calling me out into the deeper waters. And, you know, it was really weird. I was in prayer one morning, and I just felt like God was calling me to 40 days. And, you know, it was so strange that when... I felt that strong urging to come out into the deeper waters. I hadn't be, even began the fast yet, <clears throat> but just contemplating it, I just began to weep. I wasn't even in it yet, and I just began to weep. Now, I don't know if that was just because I felt so touched by the Spirit of God, or my flesh was just going, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a combination of both. But... The reason I bring that up is because I want to say this to you. Folks, if you're listening to the Spirit of God, 
sometimes God will call you out of your comfort zone. See, I'm a pretty self-disciplined person, and sometimes I've fasted for such a long period of my life now as a lifestyle that a week, two weeks, sometimes doesn't even challenge me that much. And so the Holy Spirit said, go for 40. I'm like, oh, 40. I did a 21-day fast once. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I didn't know if I'd ever do that again. And the Lord said, come out a little further into the deeper waters for 40 days. I'm not asking you to go 40 days. I'm just asking you to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he would say to you because he will call you out of your comfort zone. And you know what? He's setting you up for something. He's setting you up for something glorious, but you've got to pay the price first. Anybody know who Catherine Coleman is? An incredible woman of God when she was an incredible woman of God. I mean, miracles um, were a very common part of her ministry. And she said something one time that really ministered to me. She said, you know, you all see the platform, Catherine Coleman. You all, you know, want to come to my meetings and get a touch and... You see what God has done in my life, and you see the, the upfront, the public Catherine Coleman, but none of you have seen the price that I've paid in order to get here. God will often ask you to pay a price in order to take you to the place where he wants to take you, but it's a better place. It's a better place. That's why not everyone walks in the miraculous power of God, because very few people have paid the price for it. Unless you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll never allow yourself to be physically hungry. There's going to come a time, I hope, in your life, it has with mine, that a holy discontentment will come upon you. A holy discontentment. Where like you're saying, I'm not content to stay where I am right now. I'm not content to bump along the way I've been bumping along all these years. I want more of God. I want to see more demonstrations of his power working in and through me. I'm not content just to go through life like this. Even if your life is very blessed. Listen, listen. even if your life is very blessed, financially, physically, relationally, in so many ways, but God will eventually bring you to a place where he shows you as much as I'm blessed financially, this is not what life is all about. Even as blessed I am, as I am with friends and, and family and you know, all this stuff, and even that, as important those things, as those things are, that's not even what it's all about. God has a call on many of your lives. He has a, a wonderful call on many of your lives, but I want to lay a, a heavy on you this morning. Unless you seek him, unless you start getting rid of the sin that so easily entangles and all the distractions, that call on your life may never come to fruition. There's people that take their callings to their graves.
You've got to give God something to work with, and sometimes he will require something on your end, a sacrifice of some sort. All right, now, I want to talk about this little concept for a moment. It's not all or nothing. So I want to just help you with this, help you with your understanding of fasting. It's not all or nothing, because remember, we read in Daniel that he uh, ate no rich food or meat or drank any wine, but he basically ate fruits and vegetables for three weeks. So he got rid of all the rich pleasant stuff, all the the satiating stuff that makes you feel so full, like a big steak and that sort of thing. He got rid of all that and just ate the bare minimums for those three weeks. Try that sometimes. That's hard enough. So you can make some sacrifices, folks, and and it's not all or nothing. You can make some smaller sacrifices that, you see, if it means something to you, it means something to God. And the reverse is also true. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to God. The whole purpose of a fast, ladies and gentlemen, it must be at least somewhat uncomfortable. If your attitude is like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast ice cream for the next two weeks. Okay, well, I mean, I guess if you're addicted to ice cream and you eat it every evening, I guess that could be some degree of of sacrifice, but fasting always involves food, okay? It always involves your sustenance, always involves sustenance. While the concept is true, if it means something to you, it means something to God, but the reverse is also true. If it doesn't mean anything to you, if it's not very much of a sacrifice, it won't mean much to God. So eliminating a few foods may not seem that meaningful to some people. As a matter of fact, there are some people that think that, well, if I can't do a full-on 40-day Jesus fast with water only, I'm not going to fast at all. But folks, almost anyone can do a Daniel fast. And as a matter of fact, almost anyone can eliminate all food for one, two, or three days. There's many people that have gone 40 days with water only. Just so you know, here's how I did my 40-day fast. Uh, Monday and Tuesday was water only. Thursday and Friday was uh, some other liquids like juices and and maybe a a shake of some sort. So those were um, liquid days. Um, Friday and Saturday and half of Sunday was a Daniel fast. Then Monday I'd start all over again with just water only. That's how I did that. I've never done a full-day water fast for 40 days. I'm almost... Bracing myself because the Lord keeps taking me beyond my comfort zone. And, and okay, my, I lost 26 pounds during that form of a, of a 40 day fast. Um, if I did 40 days, I might whittle down to about 110 soaking wet. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there's sacrifices that we have to make sometimes, folks. I don't like losing that much weight, but there's things that I like better, there's things that I want more. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. See, I've noticed that when my body is suffering, my spirit is becoming stronger. When my body is suffering, my spirit is becoming stronger. So as you know, and Brent has already referred to this, as you know, those of you that have been around for a while, every year in this church, we've done this for years, Every year in this church, the first of every year, we do a a 12-day 
annual fast, 12 days. And you can do it however you want. We're not dictating how you, do, how you do your fast. As a matter of fact, if you don't even want to join us for all 12 days, you don't have to. But join us in some part of it. Go for three days. If you do it the 12 day, you can do a, a Daniel fast. Eat just fruits and vegetables. Um, do it however God is calling you to do it. Listen, when you're contemplating this fast, don't listen to your flesh. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. Because your flesh is going to go, um, fast French fries. You guys, that's, all, that's about all your flesh wants to do. Listen to the Spirit. What's the Spirit saying to you? Okay? So we're not dictating or, or even strongly urging how you do your fast. We're just asking that as a church, we be united for 12 days in a first of the year fast just to say this, Lord, I'm yours. I'm available. I'm at your service. And I want you to take your work in me deeper. Take your work in our, in our church deeper. Take your work in our community deeper. It's okay to fast for family members on their behalf. Fast for uh, our nation. That's what Daniel was doing. Fast for our nation. There's a number of reasons that you can, you can fast for. Make it a, a prayer and fast focus during those 12 days. Lord, here's my petition before you. It's okay to petition the Lord. That's what Daniel was doing. Petition the Lord. Here's my petition to you, Lord. I'm lifting up my petition to you through prayer and fasting. That's what Esther did. That's what many people throughout the Bible have done. They presented their petition through fasting and prayer. If your little mealy prayers aren't doing the trick, maybe it's time to kick up the intensity and add fasting to it. Praise the Lord. All right, so as we prepare to embark upon this 12-day fast, I want to provide some tips for you that will help you as we come down home stretch here. So some tips about fasting. The first one is don't advertise it. Don't advertise it. Now, if someone asks you, because I had this question once or twice throughout my times of fasting um, when I'm with a client or, or whoever else, and, and we're sitting down to talk and they're having a, a big meal and I'm having either broth or nothing. They're like, aren't you eating today? No, no, I'm fine. Are you fasting? Yeah, yeah, I'm fasting. That's all you have to say. So you don't have to lie about it for Pete's sake. If somebody asks you, are you sick? Are you, are you fasting? No, I don't make an excuse. Just tell the truth, okay? But just simply don't advertise it is all. So let me give you a scriptural reference for that. This is Matthew 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, verses 16 through 18. He says this, When, not if, when you fast, do not be somber like the hypocrites. Don't be somber like the hypocrites. In other words, continue to go, to go about your normal activities. And if you know, you're a happy-go-lucky person, continue to be that way. Tell jokes, be happy. Right? Don't, don't be somber like the hypocrites reading on, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they already have their full reward. What's that mean? That whatever level of honor they get, letting people know that they're fasting, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. You impress people through your fasting. If that's your desire to impress people, show them how spiritual you are, 
through your fasting, okay, there's your reward. That's all the reward you're ever going to get. Okay? He goes on. Truly, I tell you, they already have their full reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be obvious to men, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who, is see, who sees what is done in secret will, say it with me, reward you. In fact, let's make it personal. Let's say reward me. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward me. There's a reward for fasting. There's a reward for even going into your closet and praying. All right, here's a second tip. Don't be in conflict with anyone during your fast. Avoid that. I mean, we should always avoid it, but even more so during the fast. Um, in Isaiah chapter 58, which is a whole chapter on fasting, by the way, it says this. Uh, let me give you some context before I read this. This is the people of Israel asking God, why aren't you listening to our prayers anymore? We've done all these religious things, but you're not responding. Why is that? So through the prophet Isaiah, God answers them, and God says this, um, or actually this is, it starts out with the, the people talking first in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Behold, on the day of your fast, you do as you please. You fast with contention and strife. You cannot fast as you do today and have your voice heard on high. God is very, very, he places a huge priority on our horizontal relationships. How can you love God whom you have not seen and not love your brother whom you have seen? Okay, so that's very important to God. Third tip, give even more during your fast. And we just talked a lot about giving and generosity in a previous series, and this relates also to fasting. When you fast, give even more during your fast. Let's read that out of the same chapter, Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7 this time, which says, Isn't this the fast that I have chosen, says the Lord, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and tear off every yoke? Isn't it to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your home, to clothe the naked when you see him, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? In other words, be even more generous. Seek to help people even more while you're fasting. You're going to save some money anyway when you're fasting by not buying as much food. You set some of that aside to give to people who are needy. That's a great way to fast. All right, I'm almost done, and then I think we might have a little bit of time for Q&A. Um, but I want to go back to this um, concept of the merits of affliction or the merits of mourning, okay? Um, and I want to relate that this time to Luke 6.21 uh, that says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are those who weep now, for you will laugh will laugh. So let's relate it again to what we read once before a few minutes ago, Psalm 126.5. Those who sow in tears through fasting will reap with shouts of joy. Hallelujah. So I hope that encourages you and inspires you and equips you as we prepare to um, get through this season of feasting. And by the way, let me say this before I, I close this. Feasting and enjoying yourself is okay. Uh, as long as you're not just gluttonous all the time. The Bible does 
teach against that, but re read the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes says, it's good for us to eat and drink and be merry in the presence of the Lord. It's okay to enjoy your food. We're going to have a, a, a nice feast today. We're all going to enjoy ourselves and enjoy one another's company and enjoy the wonderful food that we've all brought. That's okay. Enjoy yourself. But then, after the holidays at the first of the year, uh, January 2nd, I guess it would be, because January the 1st is on a Sunday, right? So the following Monday, on January 2nd, is when we will begin our fast. And uh, I want us all to be united and committed about this, because I'm telling you something, folks. When people unite in prayer and fasting, we can become a very dangerous church to the kingdom of darkness. And we don't even have to be big numbers to do it. You know, it puts me in remembrance of Gideon. And he went out to, to face this horde of, of, of the enemy with this giant army behind him. And, and God said, mm, you got too many men up here. And, and he gave them, and there was tens of thousands of warriors with him. And he said, you got too many people. And he gave him a process to whittle them down to 300 guys against this horde, this mass of enemies. And they defeated them. God can do a lot with a little as long as there are people who are committed to the mission, to the vision, and they do things God's way. And I just want to say this before we close and go to a little bit of Q&A. Um, we have fasted before of a church, but I, I sense, I've not talked to many people about this, okay? So I'm not, uh, I don't have anybody specific in mind when I say this. But I just sense that we've not been totally on board as a congregation when it comes to these first of the year fasts. That some people have done it just eh, a little bit, maybe, and some people haven't done it at all. Uh, I'd love for us to be committed on this. Just like we're a committed church when it comes to giving, I want to congratulate you all. We're 90% or more of our church gives. I'd like for 90% of our church or more to fast along with it. Praying, giving, fasting, the three-chord strand that's not easily broken. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right, is there anything else I want to say about that Holy Spirit before we go to Q&A? Um, yeah, just this, that God never instructs us to make sacrifices where he doesn't plan on giving you something better in response to that. And I also want to say this, don't make your fasting just like one time a year and like you never fast again until we come back around to our annual first of the year fast. I believe God was calling us to a lifestyle of fasting. Well, what's that mean and what's that look like? I don't know. Uh, for you, for me, it looks like fasting every Monday throughout the course of the whole year. And then as God calls me to something longer, I'll respond and do that. And then we always do this first of the year 12-day fast, and then throughout the rest of the year, God may call me to something longer apart from what you all do, but my regular practice is every Monday, I'll fast. So do whatever you do, but a lifestyle of fasting is what we're talking about here. Okay, so with that in mind, um, we're going to go to some Q&A now. So guys, I'm going to turn off my uh, lapel mic and go to the handheld. 
So I don't know if there's any questions. I mean, I thought I was, you know, I hoped I was pretty thorough there. But if there's any questions at all that remain in your mind, it's like, ah, I, I'd like to know more about this. I have this question. Anybody all have questions about fasting at all? Yes, Donna. Over my lifetime since I've been walking with the Lord, I have known several people who have fasted, different churches who have fasted uh, in our family. We lost a family member and the family members and another pastor uh, fasted over this person. Family members passed, uh, fasted. I have seen over the course of time uh, fasting and I haven't seen any results. This person continued to pass on. It was their, probably their time anyway, but still we fasted. These people fasted so diligently and he fasted and he still w w was taken. And I know that there have been people who have, I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that there have been people fasting over this country even up until now. And is it not enough? The ones that have done it, like I just, I believe what the Word of God says. I truly believe it. But I personally, and in, in even in our own home, I have not seen it come into fruition. And I know that there have been people in our home that have fasted. I, I have known this. And I haven't seen it come in. in I haven't seen it work. Great, great question. Great question. Okay. So I'm going to answer that question like this. It's kind of a two-fold answer to that. So number one, when you, when you pray and fast, you, you have to understand that, first of all, there's certain things that maybe didn't come your way that could have and would have had you not fasted. Now, did you get the specific answer to your, to your prayer request where a person was concerned? Let me address the second part of my answer, which is this. There was a lady many years ago that um, was in a different church, and, and she got cancer. And she was very sick. It was a terminal type of situation. And uh, she was believing God to get healed. And uh, prayer, fasting, the whole, the whole deal. Um, but your fasting, you had to understand, there, there's people's wills involved. And in this lady's case, um, uh, she was saying all the right things, doing all the right things. But underneath the surface, there was something else that was going on. Because somebody, somebody told her, said, hey, there's a, a healing conference in Indianapolis going on on such and such a day. You ought to get yourself there. And you know what she said? She said, well, there's this other conference going on the same day. It had something to do with some hobby that she'd like to participate in. Um, and she said, um, I'd, I'd like to go to that because that might be the last time that I ever get to do something like that. She was already preparing to die. In her heart, she was already preparing to die. Didn't matter the people that were praying over her, the people that were, that were fasting and doing all that. In her heart, she would already decide that she was, she was going to go on and be with Jesus. Because she wasn't interested in the healing conference. She wanted to go to this, this other fun thing because it might be the last time. So you can't override people's wills is what I'm saying. If, if they've made a decision that they're going to go on, you know, and, and sometimes even with people that haven't made those decisions, you don't know what else is going on underneath the surface that may be hindering that process. So a let me give you this example as well. Um, <clears throat> there was one time that a lady found our website um, and she called me. She was looking for a faith church that taught faith, believed in faith, to agree with her about her physical condition and her marriage. She'd been diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and she and her husband were estranged. So she found our website. She was from Lafayette, Indiana. She called me, 
and um, she explained her situation. And as she was talking, um, I just got the impression, talk to her about forgiveness. That seemed to, didn't seem to have anything to do with what she was telling me. But, I, but the Holy Spirit said, talk to her about forgiveness. So I did. Talk to her about forgiveness and bitterness. And she said, you know what? I have had a hard time forgiving my husband and other people for that matter. And so I went through the process of just leading her through a prayer of repentance about her unforgiveness. And then I prayed for her healing. And then I prayed for her marriage. She called me back two weeks later and said, I have a clean bill of health. I, I no longer have thyroid cancer and my husband moved back in. So sometimes you don't know what's going on beneath the surface with people. Sometimes there's things in people's lives that act, actually block their healing and unforgiveness and bitterness has a lot to do with that. So that sometimes you just need to pray, Lord, what is it that may be hindering this process? So that's a great question. So I hope that helped. Any other questions along those lines? Yes, Steve. So I have somewhat related question. Um, actually, it's kind of two parts. Uh, one is there's a case where the disciples were trying to heal someone and they couldn't. And Jesus' response was almost like, well, it's obvious. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so for somebody like me that's more of a process person, it's like, well, how do I know which is which? And then you gave the example, I had this kind of this intuition and feeling probably from the Holy Spirit, I need to talk to this woman about forgiveness. And so it seems that there's certain cases where we have to be sensitive to the Spirit on what is it we're supposed to do, prayer and fasting or a prayer of repentance or forgiveness or change something in our life. And, and I think that's part of why we're doing the fasting is to get that closeness and awareness spiritually, it's kind of like a circle. Like I don't, I don't, I personally don't know what fast to do because I don't hear the spirit in the same way that you do. And and for so for somebody like me, it's hard to know, am I doing the right thing? And just that's part of why we fast to uh, get to the point where we can hear the spirit more clearly and clean out those cobwebs like what I was saying in the teaching. And so you have the same spirit that I do. God's no respecter of persons. So you, you have the same spirit. Um, there, there's not a Holy Spirit for Andy and a Holy Spirit for Steve. Okay, it's the same Holy Spirit. Um, you have the same anointing. Okay, the, the, God's anointed you. Uh, so all of you have an anointing from the Holy One, the Bible says. Okay, so, uh, but the way that we can operate in that a little bit more clearly is to begin to fast and pray. For those of you that, uh, you know, you exercise your prayer language, and that's a, that's a great way to, to get sharper in hearing from the Holy Spirit. Um, and so there, there's, God's provided methods for us so that we can clean out those cobwebs and become more attuned to his spirit. And fasting is one of the ways that we do that. That's why he tells us to do it. Um, so, um, as far as knowing the situation that you're speaking to, when somebody's asked for healing or whatever the case may be, and, and you just need to be listening to the Holy Spirit for something that he might tell you regarding that situation, well, that's where being in his presence is concerned. That's where shutting off the noise from the world is concerned, being in his presence, fasting, being in prayer, and voila, 
you, you start to become more attuned to his spirit. So, Steve, what you said, I, I don't want you or anybody else in this room to think, well, you know, Andy you know, has a, a more of a special relationship with God than I'm ever capable of. That is a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. Um, you have the same Holy Spirit to get you to the same place where I am and even beyond where I am. But sometimes it just takes putting a little bit of time in the secret place. Does that make sense? Praise God. Any other questions, comments? Yes, Mark. Um, I'll get Mark first and then you, Sharon. Just one other thought on, on what Steve was saying. The, the, the reference you went to was um, where, where the disciples come to Jesus, or the, the person came to Jesus, I believe it was, that they couldn't drive this demon out of his child. And Jesus said this type only comes out by prayer and fasting. But he was not talking about the demon. He didn't pray and fast to get that demon to leave. He had prayed and fast previously. So for, for the disciples' faith to be where Jesus' faith was, was going to take the prayer and fasting. This was not a special demon that was going to require um, them to, uh, can't help you today, I'll be pray, praying and fasting, I'll come back and help you later. Right, right. That, that's what the prayer and fasting was going to eliminate was the disciples' unbelief. And that's what it's going to do in our lives, too. When, when we're praying and fasting, we are going to get rid of doubt and unbelief, and which makes me think of the guy, you know, uh, that asked Jesus to heal his daughter, and then he said, hey, I believe, and Jesus said, believe only. And he said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. We both, we've all got both. And this is a huge thing in getting rid of that unbelief. Perfect. Perfect. That was a perfect answer. Thank you, Mark. Sharon. I also think like, so we've been doing this fasting for, gosh, we've been here 10 years, 11. So we've done it for 11 years. So I remember when we first started fasting, it'd be like, well, what do we fast? What do we, what kind of fast do we do? What do you, and, you know, and you can get caught up on that. But I would just encourage those who maybe haven't fasted just to just to start where you know to start, wherever, you know, wherever God tells you, if he doesn't tell you, just just start somewhere because he will bless that fast, just knowing that, hey, I'm doing this for you, Lord. You got to take baby steps sometimes, start someplace, and sometimes people ask, well, can I fast TV or can I fast Facebook? Uh, social media. Yeah, I do think you ought to fast those things during your fast, but fasting by definition in the Bible always, always, always involves food. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Jennifer. Well, Bill Johnson, the instance we were talking about um, where it said this type comes out with prayer and fasting, Bill Johnson said that Jesus fasted into a lifestyle. He didn't need to fast every five seconds or whatever, you know, but he fasted in it to a lifestyle, which I thought was, you know, pretty interesting. Well, that relates back to what I was saying about the early apostles and the early church is they led a lifestyle of fasting. Okay. Even the Pharisees, for Pete's sake, fasted twice a week. Okay. Okay. Who else? Any, anybody else? Any other questions, comments? Yes, Bill. We'll take one or two more and then we'll be done. This is just a comment. Actually, it's a sign on a lady's desk. 
at the bank. And it pertains to point number two in your sermon about not being in conflict with anybody. And it says, I'm sorry I said to you what I did when I was hungry. <laughs> All right, that's, Bill, that's a great point. Let me elaborate on that for 30 seconds, okay? Um, when you fast, your body rebels, and you tend to get irritable. Everything gets on your very last nerve. You're just going to have to prepare yourself for that. And if you don't feel like you can take it, uh, being around certain family members, isolate yourself for a little while until you can get past that irritability because it will come. And there are other manifestations of fasting too. I have to isolate myself from family members for another reason because my breath gets so bad. You've never smelled bad breath until you've smelled fasting breath. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So well, during the fasting and I'm preaching, I'm going to minister at arm's length like this, right? So, all right. Uh, one more. One more question or comment. Anybody else? Yes. My lovely daughter, Hannah. I just wanted to um, point out that the first time I ever really started fasting, like food, because every time before that, I've been like, I'm breastfeeding, so I can't fast. Like, that's so convenient. Um, but the first time I ever started fasting was like a couple of years ago, like real food. I would like fast every other day. And this was exactly the point in my life when God blew up my dream life. Like, I started having prophetic dreams, like, you would not believe. I started hearing his voice for the first time. Like, fasting does that. It gets you to a point where your mind is silent from outward things, and you're able to really be in tune to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's right. I, I like the way she said that. God blew up my dream life. God will speak to you in dreams and visions. Did you know that? Yes, yes. So if you have blood sugar issues, one of the things that you need to pay attention to is you probably have high insulin and insulin resistance. One of the best ways to reset your cells to insulin and insulin sensitivity is to fast. But you may have to work up to it. So you fast if you're going every 12 hours and you're eating then you need to say okay I'm going to go 10 hours and it's like lifting weights you just work your way up to it because you can fast if you couldn't fast you wouldn't be here because you are from a long lineage of fasters because before we had grocery stores when winter came guess what you fasted whether you wanted to or not it is built into your physiology Great point, great point. So that's why I think that the Daniel fast can be a way to ease you into it if you do tend to have blood sugar issues because you're still getting food, you're, you have sustenance, um, and um, you still have some source of energy coming in. So uh, not that the Daniel fast is comfortable, and, and it's not supposed to be. Okay, so this has been great, so praise God. Um, all right, let's pray. Praise God. Stand with me if you will.